Hello, and welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm George Stahl, joined by Scott Reel and Anna Bryant, or Anna Bryant and Scott Reel. Sometimes we like to put Anna first because she is one of the most important people in the room, and she's Scott. (laughs) Let's just be honest. but uh, we're also glad so, so many of you are joining us, wherever you're joining us from, in your car, your home, at work. Um, it's always special and sacred and a gift to, to have you joining us. But today, um, we want to start with a question, um, which is a question we probably all have asked ourselves uh, or have been asked by someone else. But if you could change your life, how would it be different? Um, that's such a meaningful question to ponder because this is a journey, um, it's a process we're on, um, it's a process we're in, and so uh, what are those things that we desire to see changed in our life? Um, do we long for those things? Um, are we tired in some way of just going through the motions or feeling defeated or stuck in some way? Um, do we want to live more fuller lives with potential and meaning? Uh, I think most of us listening do, and we don't always know what the next step to move toward that. But today we want to talk about that, creating change. There is this openness of heart to acknowledge that, yes, we have agency and we can do things to bring change into our lives. But there's this whole other part of it that requires grace and support and the help of others. So we want to talk about just the bounce of that today. So creating change. This is the third week of Journey to Freedom. And uh, we want to give you the highlights of that today. So we're going to start off with Scott Reel, like we always do, who wrote this book and wrote this week. Where do we begin? Creating change. Well, in this week, we're going to look at the role of community relationships on our journey. And um, it was, I I was, gosh, this goes back 20-some years ago. I had a friend of mine who was a therapist, psychologist, actually, and he was helping us with our small groups. This is before I wrote Journey to Freedom. And um, we were just seeing such profound things happening in these small groups. And I had never been involved in small groups before. And um, I asked him one night, I said, what is it that makes small groups so powerful? And he immediately just said, universality. And I had never heard the word before. And I said, well, what does that mean? He goes, when you discover you're not alone. And as the years have gone by, and this is what we talk about in this chapter um, that it's, it means so much more to me than just you're not alone. And what we know is that there's two forces at work here. Um, one is shame, which we've talked about a little bit. And when a person is, sh- is, is shamed and they're struggling with shame and it becomes toxic, they withdraw from relationships. They, they hide just like Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve did. It's, it's our instinct to preserve ourselves, self, self-preservation. And so... Um, Shame, we disconnect, we withdraw from relationships. But grace, which is the most powerful force in the universe, draws us into relationships and pulls us towards one another. I see grace pulling us towards one another, um, especially if the way I've always seen it is if Christ is in the center of the group and, the, and we're all sitting in a group facing the center and we're seeing each other and we're learning each other's stories and we're hearing our stories and we're and there's the commonality of those. And I move towards you because I, gosh, 
George struggles with something that I struggle with. I, I'd have swore I was the only one that had that struggle. So it pulls me towards you, and we just naturally move towards Christ, and we move towards one another. And um, that aspect is of a healing community, the universe, universality, is how that grace pulls us towards one another. Because shame isolates. And I've always said shame is the loudest voice. It screams at us. It's, it's, it's intimidating. It scares us. And grace is this gentle, warm voice that just draws us in and pulls us towards one another. That's, you're not the only one. You're not alone. And, um, and that, that is, to me, something that people, when they experience it, you just see a light come on. And in the early weeks, the group, they might be very quiet because they're, they're hiding, they're, they're afraid, they're, they're, they're really determining, do I tell the truth? And the reality is we want to tell the truth. We want to be known, um, which is what uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson writes about in Anatomy of the Soul. He says there's no greater need for any human being than the experience of being fully known. And when we're fully known, sharing our stories, all the, even the listeners' stories are transformed. And I, I've always found it to be so fascinating. That's the power of universality. As I was listening to you talk, I was just thinking, and Ann, I want to hear you weigh in on this, but uh, is it even possible to rid your mind and your heart and your being of shame all by yourself? It's impossible. Or, or is it even possible to experience the overwhelming flow of grace all by yourself? Like these, are, these kinds of things do require the interaction um, with others. It's not something you could do alone in a room by yourself. Well, it's interesting. It's physiological, too, now that we know about neuroplasticity and neural pathways, is that Thompson says anatomy soul, they now know that the brain, the way it's created, it won't even work in isolation. We were created for intimacy, for relationships, and re relationships, whether we want to admit it or not. And this is one of the problems with our country. We're, we're from this you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, a very individualistic society, when the reality is we need community and we need relationships far more because we were created from relationships. If you look at the Trinity, we'll make man in our image. We came from relationships. We grow through relationships. And that's, that's and we even find our identity through relationships. We cannot function in isolation. Our brains will not work. Anna, maybe you could speak to, uh, put some language to this and what you witness um, when you do hear a story of struggle from another person and you previously thought that struggle was exclusively, t you know, to you. Um, you've probably witnessed to this over and over again. And it doesn't always have to be the exact same struggle, but somehow the universality shows up in a room, even with a struggle that's uniquely different. And all of a sudden, we're going, wait a minute, I'm not all by myself here. Um, you witness to that a lot. What does that feel like in a room to witness it? And how do you, how do you name it? I think the name of it is universality. And it, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to watch unfold. When you hmm, can share the, share the struggle that you've had and somebody else can feel brave enough to share the struggle that they've had, although it may not be the same. There's like the common element of struggle or suffering or pain. Um, and although it looks different, it, it very much feels the same. Um, and when somebody is willing to expose that in themselves, it definitely brings out, um, I think a certain boldness in others, um, 
to be able to do the the same and to have that met with grace and compassion. Um, that's where the sense of community is so important because again, like we can't heal in isolation and we can't, um, we can't experience grace and isolation when we can show up with the absolute worst of who we are, the authentic, real, maybe not so pretty version of ourselves, um, whether it's things that we have done or things that have been done to us that just is not a beautiful part of our story and we are met with empathy, um, then that really does change and begin to heal our hearts in a way that we can't do on our own because we can't... um, we can't extend grace to ourselves if we haven't received grace. Mm-hmm. And that comes from outside of ourselves. Yeah, it's like you guys are naming just how important relationship is to the human experience. And then I even say creation. We live in a you know interrelated world. Our, our planetary systems are in relationship with each other. And so, yeah, if there's any good, healing, hopeful, meaningful kind of work that is going to happen in our hearts, of course it's going to involve not doing it all by ourselves. Um, I, I also heard, um, and I think it was Henry Now, and I'm not really sure on this, you might know, Scott, but he talks about how listening is an amazing gift. Um, like in you, you guys often talk about how in a group experience, um, you could listen to someone in such a way that they're, they're, they're getting this experience of like, wow, they're actually feeling what I'm expressing and what I'm saying. And it does kind of take you out of that, I'm not crazy, um, you know, and, and does connect you. But he says this, he says, when you listen, you are concentrating on a person and that the force of this concentration is healing in and of itself. And so uh, that's where the kind of the power is at, isn't it? That listening has a very powerful effect when we are sharing. I think that's something that's sorely lacking in our world right now. And I think that's something that people find in our groups that maybe they don't find other places is, you know, we live in a society that people love to shout their opinions and their thoughts and their ideas, but um, we're not really great at listening, like presently listening. Like we're great at advice giving and thinking about what we're going to say before somebody's even finished responding, you know, or even getting out of their mouth what they're going to say. But to actually sit and just be present and um, mindful to what another person is saying, um, that's kind of a, a bit of a rare commodity in our society right now. And so that's something that's really different and unique that we offer. And I think, I know this is an old cliche, but I like God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. And there is a reason that our mouth can close and our ears cannot. And so I think For me personally, that is an important adage to live by, and that is something that people can get in our groups maybe for the first time that they don't necessarily get out in the world at large is just a very present, listening, um, empathetic audience um, that really cares about what is being said and is taking it in and not just waiting to respond. So you're saying it would be a much more healthy world if we all learned how to listen a little better, right? Perhaps. Wow. <laughs> Scott, what say you? It's What we're talking about here is, is the most important quality, I believe, in intimacy, and that is the quality of being present, just presence. And what that means is um, Dr. Stephen Covey talked about um, how he learned about listening. And um, here he was, his doctor, and he was talking to his wife one day, and um, she just 
they were, she said something to me, and he, started, he responded to her, and she said, Stephen, you don't listen to me. You're not listening to me. She was, you're just more concerned about formulating your response than just listening to me. So he said he took that to heart, and he went away, and he processed that with God. And he came back with it, and he realized he did not listen with his heart. He listened just with his mind, and it was more driven by just how it was affecting him and it answers. And so he, he changed, and he calls it emphatic listening, which is listening with the heart. And then you think of the ways where we get empathy from. But, but that's what happens for people in our small groups is, and that's when we talk about building relationships that are life-changing that you get in a healing community, I think we come back to um, what we call the divine mirror, which is um, the ability, if, if, if you're listening to my story and you're hearing me, the people in the group, they're, because they're emphatically listening with their hearts, they can mirror back to me the divine in me that I cannot see in isolation. I mean, we cannot overemphasize how destructive isolation is. Our brains won't work. Everything God created was created through intimacy and relationships. And so those relationships that we have where you know that you know, they're listening to me. They're listening with their heart. It sends this incredible message that I matter, that they care. Um, those are the richest, most meaningful relationships. And so we practice that, being present. Um, and uh, it's, it's life-changing. But again, the divine mirror comes from what we refer to as a secure attachment. And we've talked a little bit about secure attachment before. But a secure attachment is a relationship that you know that you know. They care about me. They're present for me. And it's through the secure attachments that we get to see parts of ourselves that we cannot see in isolation. And so as that is being mirrored back to me, it's, it's, it's just life-changing. It's, it's transforming. And I guess <clears throat> I love the word emphatic listening from the heart. I mean, that's amazing. Um, but equally, as much as we need to be listened to, aren't we sometimes listening to the wrong voices? Um, sometimes um, the more critical ones. And so, Anna, part of the relationship, building relationships on this journey is, yes, having more people to listen to, but it's also growing an awareness of what not to listen to, and too, I right? Think, yeah, so often those, uh, those maybe voices that we shouldn't be listening to come to us when we are in isolation. It's our own voice of self-condemnation or it's our own psyche like comparing ourselves to what we see in the outside world but when you are living in true community where you do have um, somebody who will listen emphatically to you and will mirror back to you what is good and true about you um, and speaks you know can speak more to your potential um, that is where we really um, learn to listen to what is is healthy and we can kind of drown out. It's, it's really in isolation that those, those negative uh, voices kind of loom large. Yeah. I was going to say that the, I read this one time that um, in relationships, um, if you and I have a intimate relationship and you practice presence with me and you're emphatically listening to me, then I can share with you my truth. And then what you respond to me with, I will receive as input. Matter of fact, I'm asking for it. Can you give me input on this? But they, 
because I trust you. But if I do not have that level of intimacy with you, if I do not trust you, and then I share with you, then I'm going to receive it as criticism. And I found that fascinating, where there's an intimate presence with emphatic listening. I receive it as input because I trust you. But if there's no trust and there's no true intimacy, then if I receive it as criticism, and it hurts. Is that where some of the uh, process and rules that you set up for a group to, to be safe, like... Is that, that's something that can happen pretty quickly if it has the right structure. Yeah, um, so we, you can learn that. Right, we built the infrastructure of our groups over the last 20-some years on creating that sacred space where people have that safety and the opportunity to be known. Remember, this brings us back to the foundation of what everything is built on from this for us, and that is where every human being in our human condition desires more than anything to be, to be known and then to know that you love me. That's it's what we're all on this planet longing for. I mean, that's what we were created for. Remember we talked about that study on the, all the orphan babies after World War II over in Europe, and, and they had a schedule to feed them, and the babies that were just fed but not cuddled and nurtured and loved, many of them got sick and died, but the babies that were nurtured and loved when they were fed got strong. So the moment we're born, love is the most important aspect of our life. And so I have seen in these 20-some years people come to group never experiencing a secure attachment, never experiencing a divine mirror, never experiencing emphatic listening, and, and they find it in a small group of strangers. That's pretty amazing, and it changes their life. And it, they say that it doesn't matter how old you are, you need that, that secure attachment, that divine mirror, because um, that's me where we receive grace Anna um, people show up to groups and they need to be listened to and we don't want to uh, as Scott is saying um, we want to be more deeply trusted in our relationships so maybe could you speak to um, the responsibility that we all have in what are the things that break trust you know, what are the things that we say when someone's struggling or is working through change that can shut them down or, or be a hindrance? Uh, uh, could you speak to that yeah. at all? Um, our very first week of group, we actually hit this pretty hard, and then we reiterated our, our second group and as needed throughout. But we do have a, a very strict set of guidelines that we adhere to because um, – Above anything we do, we want to protect um, the people that come to our groups, and we want uh, our small groups to be a sacred space. And so um, first and foremost, of course, confidentiality is uh, the rule of the day. Uh, obviously, whatever is shared within group stays within group, and that is not shared outside the walls of um, of our group time to other people so that um, when people come, they do know that it is a safe and secure place to share whatever they need to share and then it won't go beyond uh, that room or come back to to haunt them in any kind of negative way. But um, I think another important guideline that we also um, implement is that like we are not here in group to fix one another. And so um, whenever people have their time to share, 
uh, it is imperative that nobody in the group gives advice. Like we just don't, we don't do that. Like we're here to listen, we're here to encourage, but we're not here to fix or advise. Um, and that is hugely important because um, ultimately, uh, you know, none of us are experts on anyone else's life. We are, we are the experts of our own experience, and we do trust that God does communicate with the people that he has created. He has made all of us in his image, and he has a direct line to each human. And so the things that he needs to express to us, he's, he's going to, um, he's going to communicate with us through um, various ways. So it is it is not our role or responsibility to be the mouthpiece of God or to be uh, an, a therapist or an advice giver. We are simply here to be a divine mirror and a sounding board and a safe space uh, for people to share. Um, and then the, the other really important role that we have um, <coughs> would be that um, we always want to encourage people to just be mindful about their sharing and that like every single member of the group is important. And we want to make sure that every single member has equal opportunity to share. So we want to make sure that nobody at any point in time is dominating the conversation. We want people to be mindful of just the amount of time that we're sharing um, so that each person has an equal opportunity. And I think that too is also really important in just, um, creating a sense of safety and equality within the group so that every member of the group feels valued and that there is a place for them to share, um, that no one person is taking over or dominating or more important. Um, Scott, what else am I forgetting? Just, you know, that we're here to nurture, love, and support one another, not judge. Yeah. And judging goes two ways, which we've talked about in group. The person we're going to probably judge the harshest is ourselves. And I've told the story that, that uh, I've had participants in groups before that uh, they did not share their truth. And then at the end of the group, they got in trouble later and we found out and we talked and you never shared that in a group. And they said they were too ashamed. So having uh, no judgment, there isn't anything you've done, anything that you struggle with that um, we cannot, we're going to accept you right there. Okay, so now uh, someone's come to the group. They're beginning to open up. They're uh, reading through this week, and uh, they finally have become more comfortable. I'm, I wanna, I'm not going to allow this shame to hinder me from dealing with what needs to be dealt with. There, there are some things that need attention. Um, and so there is this point where you are teaching people how they can hit their problems head on. Right that um, shame isolates us and keeps us from dealing with it, but there's a way to over uh, to move beyond your shame and begin to make progress to a more healthy, joyful, meaningful kind of life. So what, what begins to happen when they begin to move toward hitting their problem head on? Well, we, uh, this was funny how this was 20 years ago, but I wrote the books almost 17 years ago, but it was before I wrote the books, I remember watching a, a documentary on the sinking of the Titanic. And um, little did I know when I watched it, one day it would be a key chapter in my book. And it's one of the best chapters, I think, that is in the book. Um, every author, I guess, is biased to 
What a good chapter. I think you say that for every chapter, every day, every group. No, this one's the best. Wait, but wait. That, that's it's what this we, one. That's what we love no. about you. It's, it's the yes. present moment that matters the most. Yes. Well, it is a really good chapter. But the, the, what they said about the Titanic was, first of all, the iceberg, that the largest part of the iceberg is beneath the surface. You can't even see it. You only see the tip of the iceberg. And so for us in recovery, for whatever it is, our struggles are, those are, are the tip of the iceberg, the overeating, the overdrinking, you know, whatever it is, um, that's the tip of the iceberg. That's the symptom of a deeper rooted underlying cause. Now in 12 steps, they refer to those underlying issues as character defects. It's what drives the need for the response. And the response is the drinking, the eating, etc. But it's driven by an underlying. And so we look at, in this week, we look at what are those character defects. So for me, two huge were fear and um, um, shame, which two huge character defects that have been present in me. They're the big part of the iceberg that you, that's beneath the surface. And I had, I've had my symptomatic responses that were driven by those. And so what they said about the, the Titanic was that if it would have just hit the iceberg head on, it would not have sank. But by trying to go around it, the biggest part of the iceberg, which is beneath the surface, ripped a hole in the Titanic open, and it sank. So the moral of the story for us is if we keep trying to dodge and not deal with our character defects, ultimately it, it, it will destroy us. We need to hit those head on. Um, you know, it's interesting in the 12 steps they refer to anyone who is willing to have God remove all their character defects, um, that is like, that is the most courageous thing that you can do to step into that. Because they say about character defects that they can be formed as early as three to four years of age. We start developing these coping mechanisms that are dysfunctional um, and they stay with us for life. So if you think about that, how long you've struggled with a character defect hitting that head on and having God work with you to remove that um, and to be aware of that is a significant thing. So, so at this part of the book, we're trying to point the reader towards you need, what is it that is beneath the surface that you need to hit head on and you need to hit it head on now before it has its really destructive potential. Scott and Anna, you guys have probably uh, heard it said that there are two things that um, motivate us toward change, and one of them is just being so miserable and um, finally awaking to that. And Scott, in the book, you talk about 40s are a time that that seems to happen a lot for people. Finally lived enough life, been frustrated enough, and so you're never too old to begin to move toward change, and sometimes misery um, brings that about. But the other thing is, is that it's the awareness that you can change, that there are things in our lives that very possibly can change with the right support, with the right attention. So um, a new life is waiting for us. We don't have to stay stuck. And if we're willing to take some constructive steps toward meeting these icebergs head on, things can change. We can grow. And so we want to move toward just the urgency of that um, in, in our lives, that contemplating it is never going to bring about change. Talking about we're going to do it one day, but today's the day to do it. So 
doing it now, that last uh, day in that week is living the dash. Anna, how, how, how do we move toward that and begin to act right now? Well, I think um, <clears throat> we start by like just recognizing like our days are numbered and each day we're a day older. And um, if we're not in a healthy place, that's a day less of like a happy, healthy life that we're depriving ourselves of if we don't begin to make those changes that we need. Um, so I think sometimes just, you know, the fear of the unknown or just complacency with what's comfortable and known to us can hold us back. But when we really stop to consider, like, we do have one wild, precious life. Are we going to make the most of it? Um, what can I do to make tomorrow better than today? Um, what steps can I make? Um, and I think a supportive small group is a great place to start to help. If you don't know the answers to those questions, and maybe you just even want to explore what that is or what that might look like for you, you know that there's something underlying that Maybe you need change, but you don't exactly know what that is. Um, come sign up for a small group and explore with others maybe what that might look like for you in your life. So you're saying this is the only journey we all have. We all have an individual one that, that we're on. Yes. Um, but we must begin to believe that in hitting this iceberg head on, there's going to be a collision. <laughs> yeah. um, and to face it is going to uh, take courage. It is. It's going to be messy. So yeah, prepare yourselves. But I'm telling you, it's a whole lot easier to navigate messy in a supportive community than it is on your own. Well, Scott, why should we not continue on this journey um, any longer without dealing with it? Now's the moment. You know, I heard this just a while ago said that um, this was just this year that um, it can just be another day or you can make today day one. And um, the last chapter of this week's reading is Do It Now, Living the Dash. And um, I remember it was when I was writing Journey to Freedom. Um, I lived near this church, this Christ church over near my house. And I used to walk my dogs over there all the time because they had a huge, this huge land where they had a graveyard. And it was huge. And so I'd walk my dogs there. And it was right when I was writing, and then, uh, some it has on tombstones it has the person the, the year they were born and then it has a dash which would mean their lifetime and they would have the year that they died well some people already have they'll have one plot like for the family so it would have the next another person's name on there the year they were born and the dash but they're still alive so it, but it, it just struck me this is where it ends it, it, we have a limited amount of time. And so how important that is that I live it well. And so what it, so we go back again to the, the premise of Journey to Freedom was based on Prochaska's model, that the majority of the population are in contemplation, which they know there's areas of their lives that need to change, but they're not committed to taking action. I think if most people visited a graveyard and they saw that, and then that reality is that, that my time is limited. And we don't know, none of us, when our last moment will be. Um, so the moment to change is right now. This is it. There's no better time. All moments are now. And so I just find that to be very encouraging that, um, you know, get on the path, face it, deal with it, 
grow through it um, while you have time. Right. And I would say, like, not only for your own betterment, but also for the betterment of the people that you love. Because being the best version of yourself is only going to benefit all of those people that are in your life place. So do it for you and do it for those you love. Yeah, I, I have that written on my whiteboard that there's no greater importance in this day than I work with God on becoming the man that, that God wants me to be, that I want to be. We become that person. We do everything in life differently. And then we will fulfill our destiny. And our destiny has an impact on this world, everybody's. And so let's, let's do it. Let's do it now. And so um, daily, I have the opportunity to co-create with God the best version of me that there is and to grow. And you know what? There's no greater hopeful feeling, I believe, than when I have a sense that I'm growing. And it, and it usually means also that there's some suffering involved. But boy, when we know that we're growing, we're changing, it motivates us, um, and we're more alive than ever. But it takes great courage to say, today's day one. So if you're on the fence about whether or not small group might be for you, let me just share this beautiful quote from Jim Zartman. This is a sacred circle where everything is welcome and everything belongs. Come sit in the circle where there is nothing between us but the distance we've traveled and the fire that keeps us warm. In this circle, your story is sacred ground. We will hold your failures like fine china and your tears and trauma like crystal. And we celebrate our victories as if they were our own. We will be a compassionate witness to the twists and turns, the peaks and valleys that have formed the one before us. Our affirmation reminding you it's not over yet, that the worst of you is temporary, but the best of you is permanent. Come in and be, for there is solid ground beneath you and fresh air all around. Wow, that's beautiful. So you guys are saying today's the day. Day one. And we can give each other a lot of help on the journey. We need each other on this journey. Can't make it alone. Knowing love in the face of all our inadequacies is life-changing. This is what you discover in small groups that restore unconditional love and hope to move forward with more joy and well-being. We need others to stay on the path of hope, and others need us. Ultimately, God's love and grace are somehow present in the sharing of our individual stories and offering hope to every one of us at the same time. No one can or should have to journey the path of freedom alone. So visit us online at restoresmallgroups.org to learn more about online and in-person groups that you can participate in. But until we meet back here again, friends, stay on the path and take care.